Thank you, Mike. Baby's Bible class can go off to your time together. Have fun. I think today was the first day I saw some frost on the grass, which means winter is well on its way. Um, I hope you're all ready. Today we are going to conclude our series on biblical sexuality. We've been on this topic for six weeks, and it's now coming to an end. Um, again, this topic as of as we did last week, I just wanted for parental guidance. If you have young children here in the auditorium, if you can just maybe be sensitive, whether you send them off to um, NC Kids or Glow Kids or Sun Kids, you may get some questions after today with the topic that we talking about, um, but we're going to conclude the, the series today, so looking forward to that. Well, I don't know how many of you know this, but I am a Manchester United soccer fan, and same, just the different responses. I take it that the Man City fans are still sleeping and not here this morning after they deserved um, victory last night, so well done to the City fans for this few of you that are here this morning that aren't fast asleep. So I've got two shirts here. One is an original and one is a counterfeit. One friend went off to Thailand and bought a fake. And the other one I got about three years ago for my 40th birthday, which is an original. Can you tell the difference between the original and the counterfeit? I want to say this about the enemy. <laughs> hey, the original one. I want to say this, I'm not giving them away, they're mine. I still like this team. The enemy is not a creator or an originator. He is a perverter of what is good. When we talk about sexuality and we talk about the body and we talk about sex and our sexual organs and our sex drive and this wonderful world that God has created, Right in the beginning, he created man and woman, and he said, this is good. Actually, this is very good. And then we find the distortion, the perversion that happens, that the enemy comes and he twists what was good, and he turns it for his plans, plans that want, he wants to see perverted and twisted. Our enemy is known as the father of lies. And I trust that as Christians, we don't settle for the counterfeit version of what God has, that we have a desire to live for that original intent that God had. And throughout the series, we've spoken and we've gone back to Genesis 1 and 2, and we've looked at that original design. What is it that God had in mind in the beginning? And then Genesis 3, we see the fall and all that has come from the brokenness of this world. So I'm going to conclude the series today with a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but I will have it up on the screen. And Paul says this, and I like, he starts off by saying, finally. And this is how we're going to conclude the series with a finally. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. There is an, an urgency, and I'm going to use that same urgency today. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you, as we've spoken about sexuality, to live in a way that pleases God. Do you know what your goal of life, the, the ultimate goal of being alive is? Have you ever thought about what that goal is? God, why are we here? What is the purpose for being here? 
I think it was the Dalai Lama that said the purpose of life is to be happy. Do you have a philosophy of life that says the purpose of existence is to be happy? My happiness, my satisfaction. If that is your purpose and your goal to say it is about me and my satisfaction and my happiness and my purpose, then as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to struggle because Paul says, the apostle Paul says, live to please God, which is a challenge, right? Either I'm going to live for my happiness or I'm going to say, God, I want to live for your pleasure, what pleases you, to live a life that pleases you. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are encouraged to go to his word and to say, what does God say about some of these difficult topics? And then you are called to orient your life around what God says. So do you have a desire this morning to live a life that pleases God? What is that desire like? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it average? I know different times in our lives we can be more passionate than other times. There are times when we are on fire and we're like, Jesus, I want to live for you. Other times where it's more of a struggle. How are you today, church, when it comes to your passion to live to please God? He says in verse 2, you are, For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from sexual sin. This Greek word, poinea, sexual immorality. I want you to be holy, and I want you to stay away from sexual immorality, sexual sin. It's funny how he, he, has, he has to say when you are called to be holy, this is the one area that robs you of holy living, walking in purity, sexual sin, any sexual activity outside a heterosexual marriage. We can look at, we've touched on fornication, adultery, some of our challenges that we have with our sexuality. But we live in a world where it is very easy to live a compromised life, not to live in purity. And as Milan shared this morning, a little bit around shame, I think many people struggle in this area, especially when we come and we are in his presence and the guilt and the shame that we sometimes feel and the brokenness that we live in. But it's God's will for me to be holy. I think young people ask this question, God, what is your purpose for my life? What is your will for my life? It's like clear right here. One of his purposes for your life is to be holy and to stay away from sexual sin. So if you don't know what you want to do with your life and who you want to be one day, here is a good start to say, Jesus, I want to be holy and I want to walk in purity. And then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Learning to control our bodies and our appetites and our desires. I said it early on in the series, God or Jesus wants to be Lord over your aroused state. He wants to be Lord over it all, to have self-control. What is self-control? To have control over yourself. We all have desires and tendencies, and we're all broken in some, some way, whether it's chocolate or whether it's binging the latest series. He's called us to have self-control, 
It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is, whatever attraction you have for people, this verse is pretty clear. Walk in holiness, in purity, shy and, and stay away from sexual immorality. And I threatened the series that we would talk about some sensitive topics. And the reason why we've done this series is to talk about topics that are affecting families today. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we've looked at gender, we've looked at sex, and we've looked at homosexuality, and we've looked at sexuality as a whole. And there's one more topic that we're going to talk about today. And it's that one topic that most people struggle to walk in purity with because of this thing called pornography. This is where porneia, where we get this word pornographic or por pornography from. It is the elephant in the room that we need to talk about. And before we talk about it, I know straight away that there'll be some people sitting here today going, why are we talking about this in church? And I wanna be brave and talk about this topic in church. And maybe you're an older person that say, this isn't relevant for me, why, why are we talking about this? I wanna say, this is a family issue. This is affecting our children, our teenagers. It's affecting adults. This isn't just a male problem, this is a human problem. This is a family issue that we need to discuss and we need to be aware of, we need to guard against and we need to talk about. This may be affecting your father, it may be affecting your brother, it may be affecting your son or your child one day. And again, when we talk about these topics, I'm gonna to ask you to be sensitive and compassionate and gracious when we talk about them. You know, it's far easier for someone to stand up here and come to the front and say, I have a problem with alcohol. I have a problem with drugs. I have a gambling problem. But how, how difficult is it to come and stand in the front and say, I have a pornography problem? What sort of, you know, when you look at someone with your eyes of compassion and grace, and the person comes up and said, I struggle with drinking. What sort of eyes would you have for them versus someone that comes up and says, I have a pornography problem? And this is where I'm asking you to be gracious and compassionate when we talk about some of these areas that are a real struggle for people. So there's a, a saying, we fight the new fight today. We fight the new drug. And there is a movement called Fighting the New Drug. And there's a website which has got some very interesting stats, but before I get into those stats, let me be vulnerable and share some of my challenges in this area. I'm 43 years old and my challenge as a 43 year old may be very different to a young person. A.B., how old are you? 16. So what A.B. is going to go through as a 16 year old is going to be a very different world to the world that I grew up in when I was 16 years old. And let me explain it. So I think in high school, my first exposure to pornography was at a friend's house. He stayed in a complex and we found some magazines by the trash. And that was, I think, probably one of my first exposures to it. And, and in high school, I, I knew of some of my friends who had, um, what are those cassettes called? VCR cassettes, VHS. But I grew up in a Christian family and I thank the Lord that my dad didn't have a stash of pornography in the house. So we didn't have, there wasn't a stash that I could break into and find. We didn't have Mnet back in the day. So we, had, uh, we were limited to finding movies that had sex or nudity in it. 
Back in the day, you would have to, if you wanted to go find something that had nudity or sex in it, you either had to go to CNA, to that corner in, in the shops that had some magazines in it, or be brave enough to go into a dodgy store. But I remember the one time sneaking into my friend's parents' office, and um, they had some computers in the office, and we started up one of these olden day computers, and uh, now we had to try and get this thing connected to the internet. Do so you remember this sound? And there was a moment where you were like, yes, it connected, and if not, you had to redo it. Some young people are like, what is this? Listen, wait for it. This is what we had to do when we had to connect these computers to the internet. It was a challenge. So I remember we typed in, I think he typed in Pamela Anderson. It took about 10 minutes for a picture to load, a single picture on this computer, about 10 minutes to load. We could have gone out and played in the garden for this picture to fully load. Who knows the difference now between A.B. being 16 years old and me in my friend's parents' office trying to look at an image on the computer? Very different. Why? One of those reasons has been the progression of the cell phone. Can you, any of you see any cell phones up there that you maybe had? I think there's a Nokia 3210. That was such an awesome phone. And the game, Snake, was like a game changer. What an awesome device. I had my Blackberry, and Blackberries were cool because you could send as many messages as you wanted, and it wasn't costing you anything. And then we had the introduction of the iPhone, I think, in 2007. But this has been the game changer. No longer did you have to go looking for it. It came directly to you, in your pocket. I didn't have to go and find a store. It came to me and it was readily available 24-7. As I said, I didn't, as a young person, I didn't struggle with drugs, I didn't struggle with alcohol, but I had to navigate, as a 16-year-old, my sex drive. And um, you know when you put your hand on a stove? There are friends of mine that got badly burnt with pornography, badly burnt, that they had to have a life change because they were so badly burned. But you know, as a good Christian in a Christian school, Christian family, you can touch it and you can play with it, and a little bit here and there is okay, but I didn't have that defining moment where I was like, I need some serious help in this issue. But I am so grateful today that I didn't grow up as a teenager with a smartphone. And I wonder what it's going to be like for a generation that doesn't know anything other than high-speed fiber, uncapped ADSL, and as much surfing as they like 24-7 on a smartphone. So how bad is it today? Well, there are around 42 million porn sites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. And if we have to talk about the difference between being a Christian and a non-believer, well, they say 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. That means 68%, I want, to believe, I want to trust that we are not the stats, 
and that we are above the stats, but 68% of men sitting in this auditorium are regularly viewing pornography. And then as a young adult, between the age of 18 and 24, that jumps up to at least 76%. So again, the question of why are we talking about this in church is because this is a real topic, a real thing, a real elephant in the room that we, we can all see and acknowledge, but we're not willing to talk about it. 11 is the average age that a child is exposed to porn. They say that 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. Despite the fact that porn can be widely unrealistic and often glorifies violence, sexism, and racism, one recent survey found that over half of the boys and a third of the girls reported believing that pornography was a realistic depiction of sex. That there is a belief in the younger generation that what they see on their screen is a valid picture of what sex is supposed to be like in, the, in a marriage context. And you don't realize, and we can, where's Marina? We can talk about um, human trafficking. We can talk about the girls that you're looking at and the drug abuse and the situations that they're in, actors, actresses that are being filmed. To believe a lie that this is real is a problem. To believe a lie that once you grow up and you get married, that this is what it's going to look like in real life. This is how a woman is supposed to behave. Today, porn sites receive more website traffic in the USA than Twitter, Instagram, Netflix, Pinterest, and LinkedIn combined. Pornhub, this is going back a few years, is one of the leading porn sites that claimed in 2019 they had 42 billion visitors with 39 billion searches performed. That's 115 million a day, almost 5 million an hour, and almost 80,000 a minute. That's just one of the porn sites. That's not all the porn sites that you can access. That's just one. And often they put out um, research and survey, I mean, stats as to what is commonly being searched for, what are the common searches. I think teens is one of the common searches that is used. And as the internet has grown, it has allowed for more graphic and more extreme pornographic content. So with so much porn available, um, pornographers compete for consumers' attention by constantly pushing boundaries and exploiting taboos. According to studies analyzing the content of popular porn videos, it's estimated as few as one in three and as many as nine in 11 scenes show acts of physical aggression or violence, while about half contain verbal aggression. So, the, so people are now looking at the porn sites and going, what is the content that is out there now? And more and more it has to do with aggression and violence and verbal violence. So you wonder why we've got a gender-based violence issue in our nation. Why? Because what is imprinted on the minds as to how you behave, how you supposedly love someone, and, how, and what sexual intimacy is supposed to look like. The, the lady that wrote the one article says, an 11th grade girl came, confided in me, and said, I watch porn because I'm a virgin and I want to figure out how sex works. So it's kind of saying, I'm going to use pornography as the thing that's going to teach me what sex is all about. This thing that God created, 
this thing that men desire and want. And this is how I'm supposed to behave when I'm with my boyfriend one day. So gone are the days where we have to hide some pornographic magazines under our mattress anymore. It's become the norm. It's just a normal part of society today. Barna's research about four years ago, they said 32% of millennials believe that watching porn is wrong. Only 32% believe that. And what was surprising in the survey is 56% of them believed that not recycling was wrong. So more upset that you don't recycle than because you watch porn. And that's, that's the danger of what has become normal in our context. Porn is considered by experts as a drug because it has the same reward system. I, some of the social media that I don't stay on anymore, like TikTok and even Instagram Reels, I struggle with. Because in a moment of weakness, if I spend too long looking at one image, those algorithms just know what to send me next time. I don't know, they must know that I'm a male. They must know that I've got a healthy sex drive. And it's just a gateway drug into desiring and wanting more. So I'm not a doctor and I'm not a psychologist, but let me quickly explain to you why it's considered a drug. And I'll read it quickly. Deep inside the brain, there's something called the reward center. You've got one and your dog has one. The reward center's job is to release a pleasure chemical called dopamine into the brain's behavior response to behaviors that, that, that are perceived as positive, like eating tasty food or, or having a good workout or even having a kiss. It's because of this reward circuit that we are propelled towards things that are pleasurable and away things that are painful. Um, dopamine tells our brain, hey, this is a good thing. Keep going, keep doing this. It sends that message in such a powerful way that we become hardwired to do whatever things trigger this process. So normally this is a great system, but the problem is this system can be hijacked. So when someone uses an addictive drug, that drug uses the same dopamine process as part of the high flooding to your brain with feelings of pleasure and positive reinforcement. Your hard working brain then immediately starts doing its job, developing a preference for whatever produces those feelings and rewiring itself to find and experience those feelings again. This creates a feedback loop that leads us to develop and seek out preferable ways to trigger that flood of happy-making chemicals. This thing called dopamine, you love it. It's that happy feeling drug that happens in your brain that you want more of. And what it does is it starts bypassing this thing called the prefrontal frontal cortex. And again, what is the prefrontal cortex? This makes us uniquely human. This is the, the so while the reward center is largely responsible for wanting, the prefrontal cortex is largely responsible for putting the brakes on the wants or the needs that we have. So let me say this is the decision-making area of your brain. So you're busy watching Netflix and you've been binging a series and it's 12 o'clock at night and you realize, oh flip, I'm writing an exam tomorrow. Let me stop now and go to sleep 
because I've got an exam tomorrow and because this exam is going to affect my entrance into university because I want to be a doctor one day. This area helps you make good choices. And the reason why I fight with my son and we are fighting, we're having lots of boxing matches. And do you know why? Because doctors say this area of your brain is only fully developed at the age of 25. The part of the brain that helps you make good, wise decisions is only developed at the age of 25. So what happens is this dopamine craving and longing that we have now bypasses this decision-making section. And that's why we wonder why we can't help ourselves just want more and more of something. So so anytime you weigh the consequences of a decision or you put off instant gratification for a long-term goal, and think of your way through a problem, you're using your frontal cortex. So because watching pornography and masturbating has no limits, the chemical dopamine creates more neutral pathways to the limbic system by overriding the prefrontal cortex, which is why sometimes an addiction feels like, or an addict feels like his actions are involuntary. He has no decision in this anymore. He can't help himself. He can't say no. He just does it. Why does he just do it? Because you've rewired your brain to want more of this happy drug, this happy feeling drug, and you cannot say no anymore. You just do it. So we have clicking, multiple tabs open, searching. You can go exactly what you want to Google and search for. The brain loves novelty. This is why this is a drug. Constant novelty, shock and surprise. This is why these websites, this is why there's so many, and this is why it does so well. So, because there are so many and it does so well and the the brain loves novelty, your dopamine highs just keep happening one after the next. So one video, you don't even finish watching the video, you find the next video. Novelty. Shock and surprise, you find another one. That dopamine hit happens one after the next. So in the real world, your, ad- your addiction, that high, that happy drug that you experience, nothing else compares to it. Life is dull and boring. Normal mundane things like schoolwork and normal relationships are dead and boring because they do not compete with that dopamine hit that you get with pornography. And how it changes the brain? Well, you get a numbed pleasure response and you get a willpower erosion. And there's all this good research that will show you the the consequences of your brain. So here is your gray matter. Here is a normal brain. There's a brain on heroin and a brain on pornography. What is is gray matter in the brain? Well, gray, gray matter allows you to be intelligent and make good decisions. This isn't just a Christian thing that is trying to counter this new drug. This is the world saying you need to stop this because it's messing up your brain. And it's now not just the older generation like mine, it is this younger generation that are growing up at the young age, eight, nine, 10, parents are saying, listen, my life is too busy, here's the babysitter today. And young children are getting smartphones with the World Wide Web and all that's available to them. So what is the price tag? Well, it's going to affect 
you physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Poor relationship quality and lower sexual satisfaction. Lower self-esteem and increased shame. Mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. Sexual dysfunction. This is one of the main reasons a non-Christian, non-believer is trying to give up porn because it messes up his, he has erectile dysfunction. He cannot have regular sex with his girlfriend or his wife anymore because it's just not stimulating enough. And he has to now look at pornography before he can have sex with his partner. And this is their driving reason. I need to stop this so I can have a healthy, normal sex life. Distorted beliefs and perceptions about relationships and sexuality. Increased aggression and violence. They say you are three times more likely to have an affair when looking at regular porn. Adding pornography to your marriage doubles the chance of divorce. Again, I ask you, what does it mean to live in a way that pleases God in sexuality? What does it mean to be holy, to stay away from sexual sin? What does it mean to be a young person sitting here today going, this is great, I love it, I enjoy it, it's fine, one day I'm going to stop. Instead of thinking about how is this going to affect me as a man in a marriage one day? How is this going to affect me from being attracted to my wife, who is the last person and the only person you're going to have sex with? That's why last week we spoke about sex and particularly in marriage and why it's supposed to be regular and healthy to help guard against some of these areas. It's supposed to help protect you. So I'm going to ask you to do what everyone should do is take an honest look at your own life. Look at the choices you're making, what you're looking at, when you're looking at it, who's influencing you. I'm not going to spend much time about this, but here is an example of what it means to do an audit of your life. Here's David, King David. It says, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelites' army to go and fight the Ammonites. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace and he looked out over the city and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath and he sent someone to find out who she was and he was told she is Bathsheba and the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sent messages to get her and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. And this is what I mean about looking at your life. King David was supposed to be out at war. It is springtime when he's supposed to be on the battlefield. And guess what? He's not there. In a sense, he stepped out of God's will. Then he sends all his strong men and his accountability partners and the strong generals around his life to go and do what he's supposed to be doing. So he isolates himself and he now doesn't have those strong men in his life anymore. Now he's bored. He's having afternoon naps. I'm not saying afternoon naps are bad, but when you're supposed to be out on the front lines fighting a war with your generals and your strong men, now you're having midday naps because you're bored. And anyone that has struggled with sin in this area will will know an idle hand or boredom is a dangerous place to be in. It's, It's 
most areas, whether you're bored or whether you're overworked and it's just a way of trying to get some happy dopamine drugs in you so you can feel better about life. But there he is, and this, he messes up. And it's not just one mess up, it leads to another mess up. And now he realizes that he's impregnated this lady and she's married with a husband. And then he arranges for the husband to be on the front lines in the battlefield. So he dies to try and cover up his sin. One thing leads to the next. And if I could tell a younger generation, listen, if you play with this, if you start dabbling in this, it's only going to lead down a slippery slope. And ask someone who's found freedom and victory in this area. It's a slippery sliding slope. This is the deception of sin. So how do we find freedom? Well, firstly, when you find that you are sinning in this particular area, hidden sin, there is the first thing you need to do is confess your sins to God. 1 John 1 verse 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all wickedness. Firstly, you have to acknowledge that it's sin. That is not normal. It's not just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean it's fine. You have to acknowledge it as sin. Secondly, you've got to confess your sins to others. And this is the hard part, if we're realistic. The first part is easy. Lord, I messed up again. Please forgive me. The hard part is saying, Matthew, I need a coffee with you. I need to confess my sin. Who knows that's a little bit harder. But this is where you find healing. He didn't say confess your sin to God and then find healing. It says confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. There's something about bringing it into the light and and to the open and having someone there to talk it through with you. So this is David in Psalm 32. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my my rebellion to God and you forgave me of all my guilt. Proverbs 28 verse 13, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Go and read Psalm 51, David's confession. He says, have mercy on me, God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sins. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Go and read that that psalm, Psalm 51. It is him confessing to his mistakes that he's made. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And anyone who has messed up in this area, you lose your peace. You have your high, you have your gratification, and afterwards the guilt and the shame, and you feel like you lose your peace. God, don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. I'm going to encourage some people here in this room today to find someone that you can be vulnerable with and share what you're struggling with. Thirdly, intentionally pursue community. So accountability partners are good, but you've got to find the right sort of accountability partners. So maybe having my friend Matt is not the best accountability partner because I'm going to say, Matt, I messed up again. And he's going to say, don't worry, my friend. I love you, dude. High five. Good luck. You got this. 
And maybe I need someone else, like this big strong guy in the front that says, listen, this needs to stop. And if it doesn't stop, and maybe someone needs to be a bit firmer and harder with me. Because you know, you know, it's always easier to talk about it after the weekend than to find someone in the weekend and say, I am feeling vulnerable. And all the warning signs are there. And I'm just, I'm going down that road, just so you know, please pray for me. So much harder to do that than the Monday accountability group. Okay, how was your weekend? Sorry, dude, I messed up. Than to phone someone on Saturday afternoon to say, listen, I'm not in a good place, not doing well. We've got a ministry in this church called NC Recovery, and that, talk, and that deals with all forms of addiction and support for the partners, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, we have it. And those are the guys that really are good at, at dealing with this. So I invite you, they do it on a Tuesday night, and the first Tuesday of every month, it's specifically around porn, but every other Tuesday night, it's to deal with all the issues that come with addictive behavior. There's a thing called Covenant Eyes, which is another way you load it on all your devices, your tablets, your laptops, your, your phone, and guess what? Every week it sends accountability partners everything that you search for and look at on your computer. There's no hiding what you touch, and they get it, and it's embarrassing. I've used it before, and I've had people use me as an accountability partner, and I have to look through all the websites, all the Google searches that they have gone through. But what do you have to do if you have to now deal, try and get this, these dopamine levels down? There's an article called What Porn Does to Your Brain and How to Quit. I encourage you to read it if you struggle with this thing. It's going to tell you about the process of how to rewire your brain. Because this becomes a brain issue. How do you lower that baseline of your dopamine levels, your dopamine hits? How do you get your frontal cortex working again? Quitting pornography has withdrawal symptoms. It is a one day at a time challenge, but I encourage you that there is serious work that needs to be done daily to walk in freedom in this area. Then if you're feeling horrible about yourself as I talk about this today, I want you to know that you are not alone. David is known as a man after God's own heart, and there he is struggling in this area. If the, the person known as the man after God's own heart messes up like he messed up, guess what? There is grace and, and freedom for you to know that you can get through this. And I need some champions in this church that can stand up and say, I am free in this area. Once I wasn't, but I am free today, and it's possible. I need those sort of people to give testimonies and share it, whether it's on men's camps or men's weekends or at a youth group, but to say, I know what it means to walk in freedom in this area. I also want to say that the stats are pretty bad, which means that leaders... Life group leaders, worship team guys, youth leaders are struggling with it. I know we all like perfection, and we all expect leaders to be perfect. But if I have this, this fear that you expect me to be perfect, which means I cannot acknowledge my weaknesses and my struggles, then we're going to have a culture where our leaders cannot be honest, especially through difficult seasons, where they maybe turn to this thing for, for help. 
Can we create an environment where people can be honest and say, I'm struggling, even if you're a leader, a life group leader? If there's anything I've wanted to do in the sermon series is to create space for people to talk about things. Then I want to say, can you, church, help us equip the next generation, the ABs, the 16-year-olds, the young people, the children, parents, What are you going to do to protect your children from living in a porn culture? The one lady said, you need to treat it as though you're protecting your children from a sexual predator. That's how how you need to be so adamant to put things in place to protect your child from a predator like pornography. So there's things you can do on an iPhone to stop um, adult content coming through. There are things you can put on your network Um, You have to be the person that develops the sexual template for your child and not pornography. Imagine your child at the age of 12, 11, learning about sex through pornography. You as the parent need to be the person that builds that sexual template on what sexuality is all about and not porn. There are tools and ways that we can talk about for parents to put in place to protect their children. I want to say to you, and this is my closing comment, the worship team can come up onto stage and we're going to sing a song. The Bible doesn't talk about fighting these things. He talks about running from it. You know when Joseph encounters Potiphar's wife, what does he do? Does he get down and wrestle her? I'm going to fight you and beat you. He runs. There's something about fleeing sexual immorality and not trying to fight it. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Here's one of the excuses we make. No other sin affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against my own body. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not sleeping around and doing things with other people. I'm just hurting me, so it's okay, but it's not okay. It's not okay when your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You were bought with a price, and hopefully having communion just reminded you of what Jesus has done for you. I wanna ask everyone a question this morning. You have to be okay with the idea that you will never watch porn ever again in your life. If this gives you anxiety and makes you cringe, then you don't have the porn is not an option mindset yet. Can I get to the point where I say I'll never look at this stuff again? Because for most of us, it's a love-hate relationship. 
you get to that point to say, Jesus, let me walk in freedom. I want to be free. I want to be free from this. Would you set me free from the bondages in my mind? Would you free me from this addiction, this weakness?